These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. And welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast, all about real estate, the dirt, the deals, the people, and the places. It's all here. I'm Marissa Leck, real estate reporter at Houston Chronicle. And I'm Rebecca Schutz, housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle. So today we have two super knowledgeable guests on the show to talk about what's next for downtown Houston as it recovers from the pandemic. So one of those guests is Chris Larson, who is kind of considered the new Bob Urey, who was a big economic development leader in Houston before he retired last year. So Chris took over at as president and CEO of the downtown district and central Houston in October 2021. And he's from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you know moved here most immediately from the Hollywood area where he was doing some work with economic development. Thank you very much, Marissa. I'm glad to be here. And we also have Angie Bertineau, who is the director of marketing for Central Houston and has been doing this for 15 years. So we love having her background. Hi, Angie. Hey, Marissa. Hey, Rebecca. So Chris, what has it been like landing in Houston from Hollywood? It has been, you know, very different than working in Los Angeles. Um, (laughs) With the conditions of the pandemic and the way that different cities have responded, um, you know, the way people in different communities have responded, I think we see it playing out differently in different cities across the United States. Um, you know, there's been so many great things that have continued to happen in downtown Houston uh, that I've been able to catch up to speed on. Cool. And I guess I should just backtrack. I'm sorry, I should have done this initially. But... Could you break down what Central Houston is and the downtown district and the downtown redevelopment authority? Yeah, so the Central Houston is a nonprofit organization. Um, it is a membership-driven nonprofit organization that contracts to manage the downtown district as well as the downtown redevelopment authority. Uh, so in that stead, we are able to manage two major public finance tools that help to advance downtown, and we work on helping to. Uh, clean the streets and sidewalks every day, all the way up to major economic development and visioning projects. Um, so we are sort of involved in really anything that's happening in downtown um, and uh, working to make it better. We wanted to dive more into what you're seeing in downtown Houston post-pandemic. I know that initially during the lockdowns, it was kind of weird to walk around and like not see anyone there. And then you had a very prolonged period of office workers, you know, continuing to only work remotely with all these different variants. And so it seems like downtown kind of has been slower to recover than potentially other neighborhoods. But, you know, we are seeing signs of of a recovery in downtown. So could you uh, just talk more about what you're seeing? And I know this is a big question, but what's kind of the overall vibe in downtown now in terms of the recovery? The tide is certainly coming in um, as it relates to the return of people, the reopening of businesses. Um, It's very different than the onset of the pandemic where there were very stringent rules, you know, that businesses were first forced to close or people were sent home. Now it is more about options and it's more about choices uh, that people are making. And what we're seeing is 
is, uh, you know, a huge shift in how people are coming back to downtown um, and steady increases across all sectors. Uh, you know, so whether it is on the hotel side or the recreational side um, or the office side, and a lot of this topic often is focused on the office market, which we are happy to talk to you about. Um, but it's also, I think, important to break down um, each of these different product types because each has seen sort of an independent level of recovery. Um, and so there's sort of a different story behind each one, uh, which we're excited to share with you today. Um, but what we're generally seeing is that, um, you know, when people are choosing to go out, when they are choosing to want to participate in society the way they did pre-pandemic, you know, they're coming back downtown. Um, in numbers that are comparable to what we saw before the pandemic. Um, but the advent of uh, hybrid work schedules and where people are choosing to work, that continues to evolve. Um, so I think we'll talk a little bit about all of those things. Did you say it was like 64% of office workers have been back once a week, something like that? What we're seeing right now on the office side is about a 53% uh, return to office relative to pre-pandemic norms. Um, and that is an average number of uh, employees that are returning to the office at some point during the week. Um, and so that is just sort of a, a warm body comparison for um, how many folks are returning. And that's uh, that's right in line with uh, the similar averages across the metropolitan region for Houston. Um, but it is substantially higher than major cities across the remainder of the U.S., so when you look at the top three markets for return to office, they are Houston, Austin, and Dallas for the nation. Um, so it's uh, pretty interesting trends that are playing out for Texas cities right now. And that's an interesting stat because that comes from the little like badge swipes on the doors, right? The two different data sources that I reference. Um, so Castle Systems uses um, those data swipes. Exactly right. So they look at the percentage of the key cards that were issued to employees in, in major multi-tenant office buildings and how many of those folks are returning. So it's a good sample size comparison. Mm -hmm. um, in Houston, we also have uh, another tool that we utilize, which is based on cell phone data. We're able to look at how cell phones are moving within the region um, and how they moved historically. So we can look all the way back to 2017 uh, to be able to look at the relative number of cell phones that commuted into downtown, right, in the pockets and purses of, of the downtown workers um, and look at those percentages of them that continue to come back um, on a regular basis. And if roughly like half of employees are coming back every week, that's not every day, right? So day by day, it's, it's less. That's right. And we definitely see uh, it's towards the middle of the week that we see um, the most employees returning. So uh, Wednesday is by far the most popular day of each week where we see return to office, but uh, it's definitely Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, it's, are the days where we're seeing the highest return, uh, Friday being the lowest um, uh, of each week. So a lot of folks exercising the opportunity to have um, extended uh, periods of time away from the office. Yeah, we're recording this on a Friday and Marissa and I are both working from home. <laughs> I tend to go in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. So. But we were there yesterday. <laughs> we were both there yesterday. Yeah. You were doing what most Houstonians are doing right now. Probably for similar reasons. So 
my question is why why is the office occupancy you know such an important metric to track downtown it's for several reasons and when you look at the composition of our downtown um, historically office employment has been a major driver for consumer demand and so when you just look at the percentage of humans that are in downtown at any given time the peak period of time uh, let's just call it midday on a wednesday most of those people are in downtown to do work, um, you know, to, to work at an office. Um, but while people are at work, they often do other things, right? So they might pick up a donut, go grab a cup of coffee or meet some friends after work at, you know, for a cocktail. Um, all of those other industries um, are, are, are really driven by um, that office employment. And so as we think about a lot of the stuff that we love about our, our, our communities, and our neighborhoods, um, it's really those amenities um, that are supported by folks who might be there for a different reason. Um, and so that's why this is a major focus for us is, is working to get people back into the office more regularly is because it's such a primary driver of consumer demand in our downtown. But it's, it's not the only driver of consumer demand. We also have professional sports and wonderful theaters um, and other reasons why come, people come back downtown. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the really encouraging signs of, of folks coming back downtown to participate in more recreational and cultural types of options um, as a part of, of, of filling their day. And it also really depends on the neighborhood within downtown. Um, so we do have some neighborhoods, maybe the area around Discovery Green or the historic district, Market Square neighborhood, that certainly depends on office workers, but not they're not so dependent on them as maybe uh, the tunnel retailers um, and businesses that their core market is really coming from the people that are coming into the office every day. So we are seeing our businesses or small businesses in particular um, who have, I think, have been a little bit stronger through the pandemic because they've had a little bit more of those layered audiences. People that are coming have been coming downtown throughout the pandemic to eat and drink and have a good time. Um, a lot of our park spaces have continued to be programmed, um, you know, certainly through last year um, and as we move forward. And so, yeah, so I think the office, certainly it, it does depend a little bit on the neighborhood. And, and to your point, Angie, about you mentioned parks. Um, I mean, parks are a, a interesting element in this, right? Which is why when we talk about how downtown is doing, it really depends on re really what, segment of downtown we're talking about because parks we're actually seeing higher utilization in our parks than we did pre-pandemic so discovery green and buffalo bayou park and market square park these these incredible amenities and, it, and it, it's sort of a no-brainer right so people feel safer outdoors they you know they don't believe that they can you know pick up the virus as easily and so they are utilizing utilizing those spaces more often um, and so that's something that is a stark contrast to what we're seeing, uh, you know, versus things like the office market. I have a chart. Leisure visitations from 2021 hit 28.7 million. So I think that's 28.7 million visits or is that 28.7 million people, Angie? Visits, yeah. Mm -hmm. Visits? Okay. So there were 28.7 million visits last year to downtown compared to 17.7 million visits in 2020. So that's a tremendous increase. 
from, you know, 2020, but compared to 2019, it was still down. In 2019, there were 43.5 million visits. And this is looking at data that, you know, Central Houston provided to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, visits, you know, are driven by a number of different reasons to visit, right? And so as we've seen things like our convention and tourism business um, increase, right? So the convention center is back open. We have group travel that's returning um, to Houston. That's going to be a major driver. You know, in 2022, they have over 350,000 room nights reserved uh, for conventions that are coming to our community. And, you know, those conventions were not happening in, in 2020, right? So we've got sort of the reopening of those big block movers that help to drive some of those visits. But then you have, you know, some of the other elements for why people would come downtown. You have obviously the Astros, right? And uh, last year, the Astros sold about 2.1 million tickets. Um throughout the year. And that was despite having some restricted attendance uh, for, for a few dozen games at the start of the season. And you contrast that to 2017 when they won the World Series, they had 2.4 million tickets. So we're seeing those major drivers uh, rebound and sort of get back to business. Um, on the theater side, um, you know, we saw just about 91% of the, of the tickets sold for Nutcracker in, in 2021 versus uh, pre-pandemic. Um, those are big numbers, right? And that is still amidst, you know, a little bit of a scare of the virus um, that's out there, particularly in enclosed places. And so we're seeing a willingness, um, you know, to get back into downtown, to be able to enjoy these amenities um, and um, really that overall bundle of visit types uh, continues to increase. And I think we have some confidence that um, you know, that that particularly as restrictions continue to loosen and p- people have more confidence that we're going to continue to see that growth uh, and people getting back to business uh, here in downtown. Yeah. And I mean, to Chris's point, um, you know, keep in mind that the theater district and the theater organizations did their very best to execute a season last year, but they really had some challenges and some hurdles with some starts, stops and starts um, because of COVID um, that would potentially break out within a cast and then they would have to truncate, um, you know, the show. And so, um, you know, I think that this year we're going to have, you know, a full season. We're really going to see that visitation with the theater district really um, jump up. So one thing we have talked about was the growth of the residential space in downtown Houston. And I think that, you know, augments some of this entertainment and, you know, sports opportunities that draw people from outside of downtown in. But there's also a need to just have more people living downtown in order to sustain, you know, more of those businesses. When I've talked to a lot of small businesses, you know, the ones that are kind of closer to residential buildings, such as Bravery Chef Hall, you know, tend, tended to have an easier time, not easy, but tended to be able to survive a little more than maybe some businesses who were dependent on that office traffic, as you mentioned, Angie. So where are we at now in terms of overall, just the residential sector in downtown Houston? I mean, is it on the path to becoming more of a bustling residential neighborhood? Yeah, and this has been a longstanding, you know, focus for our organization is is to help to transform downtown into becoming more of a an urban neighborhood. We're going to have a residential population of about 
12,000, 13,000 people living in downtown, um, which is a major shift from where this community was 10 and 20 years ago. Now, it doesn't mean that we're done. In, in fact, I think that we've, we've got a need for a lot more uh, housing in downtown. Uh, we hear that from our stakeholders, um, you know, whether it is a small business operator or, um, you know, it's even an office tenant who just wants to feel more vibrancy in the downtown, folks using the downtown for different reasons, walking their dogs, uh, just out for a jog. All of those things are incredibly important because they not only help to contribute to a broader sense of vibrancy, which which translates to, to safety, um, but it is also a major driver for um, sales, um, particularly for small businesses, retail businesses, restaurants, those kinds of things. Um, and it's an old adage in real estate, which is that retail follows rooftops, right? And um, it's been that way forever and it's not going to change. And so as we think about wanting to continue to provide more shops and more things to do in downtown, a uh, major driver for supporting that is it's going to be having more people who call downtown home. There was a significant number reached recently. Was it there are 10,000 people that live in downtown now or was that? In 2021, that was in 2021. We crossed the 10,000 resident threshold. Okay, and that is that's a major threshold, particularly for site selectors uh, who are thinking about locating a, particularly a business like a grocery store or a pharmacy. Uh, they are looking for that aggregation of residents within a particular area or neighborhood, uh, and so that's an important one for us because it checks a box and it means that we would essentially qualify for certain types of retail who are looking for that minimum threshold, which is, is something that we just accomplished. How many people need to live downtown for it to be more self-sustaining? I think you said we might get to 12 or 13 this year, but what's kind of, is there like a goal for, you know, how many people should be there? <laughs> we have a plan called Plan Downtown, and our goal is 30,000 uh, people living in wow. downtown. And that's oh wow okay yeah that's, that's a big number you know and, and when you look at comparable cities at the scale of, of our downtown it is it's actually similar to what you see in a city like downtown Los Angeles or inside the loop in, in downtown Chicago um, you know so as we think about wanting to sort of have that kind of urban place as a part of Houston uh, it means that we really need to do a lot more to attract more residents and, and build more residential opportunities at all price points. The point is that there's just denser living in those downtowns. So it can it doesn't necessarily depend on just one sector to support its, you know, health of the economy. And a, and a big reason for that is um, where people can build density is different in other cities than it is in Houston. Right. So in Houston, you can build density almost anywhere. Right. And that's why you see skyscrapers all across the city, um, whereas in, in most other cities, you can only build density and, and particularly skyscrapers in certain areas of the city. Um, and so density happens faster in those places because growth is restricted in so many other parts of those cities. So Houston's a little different in that regard, but then also in our understanding of what our downtown is for. Um, and for decades, this was a place where people went to work, right? First and foremost. 
Um, and it's only really in the last 10 or 15 years where there's been a, a high level of intentionality around attracting and developing other types of land uses to diversify that composition of our downtown. So, you know, in some ways we're playing catch up, uh, but we're also catching up pretty quickly. Um, and so you see a lot of different kinds of, of properties that are going up, which is helping to, to achieve that diversity and really that residential density that we're hoping for. And when you compare it to other districts uh, within Houston, I mean, like Chris said, by the end of this year, we should actually be surpassing most of those neighborhoods. So, for example, the Uptown District or Midtown River Oaks and others. So that's exciting. And, and a lot of it is a bit of this kind of perception um, because, again, people still think of us as central business district, which we want to take out of people's mouths. We don't want people to refer to us ever again as a central <laughs> business district because we are so, so much more than that. Um, but it's interesting because I do think of Midtown as more residential where, you know, again, in a very short period of time, we're going to actually be surpassing them in regards to number of residents and number of units that are, are in our neighborhood. Plus, we have the office. Plus, we have the convention center. Plus, we have the most hotels. Plus, we have the best parks. I mean, the list goes on. So, My question is, it seems like we're on the right path in terms of bringing more residents to downtown and diversifying the economy. And, you know, we have all these great metrics around more people visiting and, and seeing downtown is not just a place to work. But the reality is, you know, we're in this state where a significant part of the downtown economy does still depend on the office worker. So what I'm wondering is, can downtown survive this sort of intermittent hybrid office schedule? Or can the downtown retailers survive that, you know, um, or if it continues much longer, I mean, is, is it going to kind of wipe out some of these smaller businesses? Or, or what are you thinking about, you know, how, how that hybrid, permanent, intermittent schedule uh, could potentially impact uh, some of those retailers that are more dependent on that. Yeah, you know, in, in, in reality, what we're going to see is, is both adaptation as well as market correction for that segment of our economy, which, which is, it's a real challenge um, and it's got real economic impacts, um, you know, to our community. And we've already seen a lot of that play out, right? So, it, it, not unlike other uh, cities, you know, we lost a number of small businesses, particularly in 2020, despite the advent of PPP loans and other types of resources. In, in the end, a lot of those businesses were, were banking on a particular segment of consumer demand that just vanished, right? So it, it disappeared. Um, and so what we've seen is that some of them were able to survive through those challenges. Some of them were able to adapt. Property owners were, in some cases, you know, very generous in offering, um, you know, different tools to help them to navigate through those levels of uncertainty. Um, and now we're seeing that trend reverse. And I think that that's, that's the good news is that I think that we're through the worst of losing businesses in downtown. Um, and we're right now in the process of, of adding new ones and we're seeing new openings. We're seeing, um, you know, businesses that are looking at, at the future and how to appeal to a broader demographic of potential customers. And I think that that's the critical piece here is that, you know, for a long time, there were businesses that were banking solely on the office worker as their driver of sales. 
The ones that are opening now, the ones that are doing well, are also tapping into the theater goers. They're getting the folks going to the Astros game. They're getting the folks who who live downtown, and they're seeing that their customers are a more diverse array, um, and that their business strategy needs to reflect, you know, a much different need or not as much different segment of needs uh, across a diverse set of, of potential customers. And keep in mind hmm. that some of the small businesses have. You know, there some of their issues right now are, are, are that are very real are labor um, and food costs. Um, so that on top of it, I mean, so some some of the businesses that we're seeing that are struggling right now, there's some of those issues, um, not just um, traffic and and um, you know the demand for their business. What does this mean for the tunnels? The sort of like Houston downtown feature if businesses have to sort of pivot to rely less on office workers in order to survive? Yeah, so um, we have over six miles, six linear miles of tunnels in, in downtown Houston uh, that connect a number of, of the office towers, some of the residential towers. Um, they don't cover all of downtown Houston. Uh, they're primarily focused on, on the western half of downtown and um but they had historically been, you know, a major source of connection, uh, particularly during inclement weather or other types of unfavorable conditions to help people move around the downtown. And so to your point, Rebecca, there have been historically a lot of businesses that have located along the tunnels to be able to capture some of that movement of people between buildings in the same way that, you know, in most cities, those businesses would locate on the ground floor at the street level um, of, of buildings. And so, you know, we have seen a loss of businesses in the tunnels, um, and that's a direct relationship to the fact that uh, there are fewer people walking them. Um, I don't think that the tunnels are ever gonna close or anything like that. I think if anything, we'll see a migration of those businesses to the street level where they can tap into those other segments of consumer demand. So instead of being completely reliant on the office worker moving from one building to the other, they can then capture, you know, potential sales from residents who are going about their business or folks visiting our community, conventioneers and others who have no clue that those tunnels even exist. Um, you know, and so I think that that's a reality that, that we're sort of working through right now is that, you know, we don't want to lose the convenience factor that those tunnels can provide to help to assist in movement between buildings. So you can go to a meeting without getting soaking wet during a rainstorm. We don't want to lose that. But what we do want to do is we want to ensure the survival of the businesses. And quite frankly, we also want to activate the pedestrian realm at the street level. That's so critical for building the city of our mm -hmm. future. So in the future, the tunnels might just be purely or more purely transit oriented as opposed to like a business, as much of a retail ecosystem as it is today or as it was pre-pandemic? I, I don't want to design out the opportunity to think about how to creatively utilize those spaces, right? And so you've probably been in airports uh -huh. where you walk one from one terminal to the other, and you can see, you know, in Atlanta, they have, you know, great visual storytelling about the civil rights movement in Atlanta, oh, yeah. right? So we could think about it as an interpretive educational space. Um, in Chicago, they've got the great sort of music and light experiences you walk through uh, the tunnels that connect to different terminals. So I think we can actually apply, you know, a public art approach to this. Uh, we could think about curating these other types of 
educational moments. Um, you know, there's other businesses that probably make a lot of sense in that type of place um, that um, are different than retail. Um, you know, and, and I think that it's just about reimagining what's possible and thinking about how do we help to reposition that asset so it still provides safe passage, but that we also don't think about it as limiting the access to uh, our small businesses and, and some of the other pieces that we need to drive the overall perception of vitality uh, in our downtown. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So when you walk around in the tunnels, you can see you know some vacancies, but there also have been some vacancies at the street level. Uh, what is your sense of how many businesses closed during the pandemic and and how many, uh, you know, have come back because there have been some new businesses openings, uh, you know, despite the challenges of the pandemic. Yeah, that's really been, I think, one of the, the hardest parts of the pandemic um, for our small business community is just the struggle to remain open, the struggle to be able to absorb increased labor costs, the, the challenges of finding people. You know, and so for any number of reasons, we've we've seen the loss of, of about 40 businesses at the street level. The good news is that in some of those uh, situations, we've also seen reopenings. Um, so we've we've seen about two dozen new businesses open in downtown. Uh, so you've got, in many cases, you've got other entrepreneurs, you got other folks who see an opportunity, um, you know, to to reposition real estate uh, for that sort of that that next wave. Uh, of potential, the next chapter for our downtown. And so we are seeing some growth right now uh, as a part, you know, in addition to that attrition. That's always nice to hear. And and some of these are really high profile as well. I mean, we have openings um, like McIntyre's, which is a really very cool uh, Irish bar, reimagined Irish bar that um, they redeveloped the old spaghetti warehouse building. um, And it's really kind of an anchor for the northern end of downtown um, to institutions like the Palm, which closed on Westheimer and reopened at Green Street in downtown. We have an amazing new restaurant, uh, Toro Toro at Four Seasons, um, Georgia James Tavern, uh, which opened at um, uh, uh, Market Square Tower, uh, which is Chris Shepard's restaurant. So, I mean, We've had a lot of exciting um, new openings and some great success stories. We have Post Houston that, of course, opened uh, November of last year. That place is always bustling. Bustling. I'm glad to see. And yeah. they have an amazing international food market there that you can get everything from South African food to um, pizza to pho. I mean, you just you name it. Um, and then we have some places like we have a, a new brewery opening in the next month or two called Frost Town Brewery, which is really close to Minute Maid Park. So, um, you know, we're excited about, you know, where we're at and moving forward and, and really supporting these businesses. One more comment on that is that each one of these new businesses are an individual or a group of individuals that are making a bet on downtown's future, right? They believe in its future to recover, to rebound, to be able to uh, make a viable business. Uh, and I think that that's an important indication of where we're going as a community. So while you have the pandemic caused closures in a lot of these, these conditions, you have other entrepreneurs who say, I've, I'm confident that things are going to get better. I'm confident that there's an opportunity here. And that's what each one of these 
these openings represents. And it's not just the small businesses too. There there have been huge investments from real estate companies during the pandemic, like Brookfield Properties has poured millions into, you know, upgrading Houston Center, Allen Center, and you know, of course, High Street Residential is building its uh, Parkside Residences near Discovery Green, which actually broke ground, uh, you know, in 2020 post pandemic. Uh, so I think you know those are just some more examples of companies taking a bet that downtown is going to come back. You're exactly right, and particularly when you think in the you know, the scale of, of a real estate investment, right? You, you talk about the construction of a new property, which, um, you know, it's, it's going to look to recover its investment over a term that is going to stretch decades, right? And so this COVID cycle is a blip in the radar, you know, for most of these long-term real estate investments. And I guess I, I forgot to mention too, Skanska, you know, broke ground on a big office tower too, uh, 1550 on the green. Is there anything that you think Houston could learn from Hollywood or from Raleigh in terms of, you know, building up its downtown? And You know, I, I would say that the cities that I have seen that are the most successful are brilliant at developing a shared vision for what success looks like and then being committed to achieving that vision, right? And so there are two major kinds of cities, right? One is going to be more plan-oriented and the other is going to be more deal-oriented. And I think the more that we can get away from being just a transactional community that, you know, where things are happening all over the place to be intentional about where we focus growth and where we focus investments, that I think is going to serve us well as we continue to build a more diversified and resilient city overall. Cool. Well, thank you, Chris and Angie, for tuning in, giving us all your time and answering all my many questions about downtown. <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you ever want to send us an idea for a podcast or just say hi, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Marissa Lex 7 And I'm at R.A. Shoots. And if you go into our show notes at HoustonChronicle.com slash looped in we'll put some links into some related articles and some you know recent downtown district research uh and also just thanks to our print editors rob gavin and lily thomas scott kingsley is our producer and thanks to Farrell gibbs and his band all the kimonos for the theme music until next time <laughs>